0: All right, all right. Okay, we ready to do this? All right. Hey guys, it's Adam Rapport, and you are listening to the Bon Appetit Foodcast. In fact, you are listening to the 150th episode of the FoodCast, which I just found out, and that's pretty awesome. It means we've been on the air for about three years now. Uh, I want to thank all you all for listening, and as always, if you have any thoughts or suggestions about upcoming episodes, what you'd like to hear more of, what you'd maybe like to hear less of, all that sort of stuff, you can hit us up at bonappetitfoodcast at gmail.com. As always, we love to hear from you. All right, now for the show. This week, we go deep on BA's best lasagna, which you can search for on by typing in BA's best lasagna. Uh, It's a recipe developed by Chris Morocco, our senior food editor. Chris felt that we had like a recipe on site, but it was a little too complex, a little too projecty. So he's like, you know what? I'm going to make a recipe that's awesome and it's bolognese and creamy and cheesy and noodly and delicious, but it's also makeable. And then, and then we got Brad Leone on, our test kitchen manager to talk sous vide brad got his hands on one of those newfangled actually they're not even newfangled anymore but they are like high-tech machine water circulators where you can cook protein in there to perfect tenderness and doneness and he did like pork belly and chicken and salmon and steak and you name it brad did it and you can find this awesome how-to guide for sous-viding at home uh, up right now on bonapete.com so let's get started here is chris and me talking lasagna Chris, I could be wrong, but I thought we already had a really good
1: lasagna recipe on bonapetit.com. We do. <laughs> we, had, we, had a, we had a pretty good recipe. When we look at something as a BA's best recipe, we always go back to the drawing board, right? So that's a chance for us to take a few big steps back and really look at, okay, lasagna. What has everybody else done and what do we want to do? Mm -hmm. You know, so for this, you have to start at the foundation of the dish, which is really the ragu, right? The ragu bolognese. So long-cooked meat sauce, super rich, not really any real shortcuts to kind of getting that flavor. Well, if I may. Okay. (laughs) You (laughs) may. (laughs) I'm going to interject because I do think what's interesting, like,
0: first of all, lasagna bolognese. I think for a lot of us growing up, a lot of times... I don't have fond memories of lasagna in my household. I, uh-huh. I remember there being too much tomato sauce and a lot of sure. like goopy mozzarella. I don't remember a rich Bolognese.
1: Right. I had the privilege of growing up with a grandmother who literally, you know, would start cooking pretty much every day at like 530 and literally everything would be out of the oven by kind of seven. And she would just sort of spend the rest of the day kind of hanging around waiting for us to like kind of start eating, you know. (laughs) So she would make her own pasta. She would go deep on it. But even her meat sauce, I have to say, was not this style of meat sauce. Mm -hmm. She was from the south of Italy and it was a lot more tomatoey and i think yeah. what a lot of americans grow up with is red sauce with chunks of meat in it exactly
0: it's very tomatoey with some ground beef i like bolognese just making a bolognese with pasta and a lot of times i will do it and let's let's talk about The the process, because this is like the foundation of the lasagna that you're making. I don't even include canned tomatoes sometimes.
1: Really? Yeah. Do you do any paste? I do paste. Okay. That's to to
0: infuse it with the flavor. Why don't you walk us through your version and
1: how this lasagna gets built? So, the foundation is the ragu. I looked at Marcella Hazan's recipe, which is kind of a classic, and um, that's what I grew up with. So, even just the smell of that simmering away kind of brings me back to home. My dad, you know, cooking that kind of all afternoon on Sundays. You know, when you look at Marcella's recipe, it's incredibly specific, like three tablespoons of chopped onion, you know, three mm-hmm. tablespoons. When, you know, when would we ever call for three tablespoons of a chopped onion, you know? In I, get the
0: feeling, I get the feeling like that's Marcella writing for an American audience. Cause like if you're ever in Italy, no one measures anything.
1: Right, yeah, and you know, and, the, and there's a lot of very, um, very differing opinions about what ragu should be, right? You know, you go to Italy and ragu is basically a, a, a Italian for let's have an argument, you know? <laughs> (laughs) So, I mean, already, like, you're in dangerous territory before you've even begun. But one of the things that I noticed about Marcella's approach, though, is that she doesn't brown anything. The meat goes into a barely hot oil. She starts pulling it apart with two forks, just separating kind of the, the little bits of ground meat. But nothing is getting any color. Whereas on the other hand, if you look at Paul Bertoli. And his recipe is all about the browning. Like that is the the base for his approach to a lot of what looks like a lot of his cooking, you know, but with his ragu, it's all about putting that ground meat in the saute pan or in the, the um you know, the Dutch oven in hot oil and driving out the moisture from it. Until it gets to the point where it'll truly start to brown. The thing that I found, though, when you do that, when you put a lot of ground meat into a pot, and you're you're doing a mix of ground beef and ground pork. Yeah, for ease of kind of shopping, like we ended up just deciding two pounds of ground pork and one pound of ground beef was the way to go. You could do half and half. You could do all pork. Yeah. You could do all beef. What we found was, you know, and this goes back to when I first started here. We published a recipe. Uh, it was an RCP recipe for garganelli with fennel and pork ragu. And we got this RSVP recipe and, and, you know, when you get a recipe from a chef, you, you never know what's gonna happen. And I was looking at this recipe and I noticed something really quirky about it, which is you basically form balls of ground pork just with salt and then you brown the, the meat in ball form in a Dutch oven. You braise that out with your aromatics and your tomato and whatever else. And then you mash up those meatballs at the end. And it was one of those moments where, you know, sometimes you sit there and think, gosh, do they know something that I don't know? Do I know (laughs) something they don't know? You know, but we followed along with the chef's process. And I noticed something, which was that, oh my gosh, you know, you can brown meat so easily and so efficiently in ball form. You know, you can put two pounds in a Dutch oven comfortably and get really nice browning on it without any kind of steaming. And you never have to take the meat to the point where you've driven off all the moisture, you've concentrated it down to the point where it's now starting to brown in its own fat, but you know what, it's already kinda dry. Yeah. And you then spend three or four hours just trying to get moisture back into it and for it to tenderize and soften up. So we took that approach with this where your meat gets just mixed with salt and then browned in olive oil. That way you can get nice browning around the outside of the meat, but you're not killing it.
0: I had literally made Bolognese this weekend, and I know what you mean. So I had a, I did one pound ground beef, one about 80% lean, 20% mm-hmm. fat, as they call it, uh, one pound of ground pork, and mixing it all up together. And if you're in a pot that that's not that big, it begins to yeah, release so much liquid and so much fat, and so much steam, that it, it is hard to get that nice browning. And you want the browning, because that gives the caramelization, gives it a flavor sure. you're not gonna get otherwise. So this way with the balls, you get the balls evenly crispy and browned all over the edges. Yep. And then the inside starts to cook, but it's not cooked all the way through. And then do you take the balls out? And then, then we take
1: the balls out, and then we, can, we render out a little bit of pancetta just because it gives a really nice base oh, note yes. flavor in there. We tried it without it. Honestly, it, yeah. there's a big difference. Um, and then, you know, your your aromatic base of onion, celery, carrot, garlic, um, you know, can go in. You can cook that hard. One of the criticisms I have of that recipe, you know, for-, so for That
0: recipe being our original recipe. Yeah, for, for lasagna
1: bolognese, is that, you know, the meat and all the aromatics are going into the pot at the same time. Oh, see,
0: I would not do that. Yet. I like to brown the meat and then Brown the vegetables, which is yes, yeah, celery, carrot, onion. kind of your classic trio. Sure. In, you take your the meat fat. out. I took the, I took the meat yeah, out. Right. But then use the fat. For li- sure. Not I drained some of the fat. Then you saute that veg in there with the a slab of pancetta, chopped up like two ounces. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like a yep. inch thick. Yeah. Wedge of it, uh, and chopped it up, and then blitzed that in. Ooh. Yeah. Uh, Cuisinart mm-hmm. until um, finely chopped and then just scoop that and put it in. Yeah. It's just easy, and it also, it's, it kind of, it if you want that smooth sauce, it kind of, it, it's nice. So then, you're sauteing that,
1: until it takes on some color. Doing it in ball, the meat in ball form just means that you can scoop out that those balls and yeah, you, know, you really can easy. tong them out yeah. really easily and you know, you're not going to spend the time forking that meat apart and yeah. when you're talking about three pounds of meat which is kind of what it takes for enough ragu to fill a 13 by 9 inch baking dish which is the minimum you want to do if you're going through you know, the effort of making true lasagna. You, what happens then is at the end of the braising process you can literally just mash those balls of meat oh, Wait, apart.
0: wait, so wait, but, you, Hold on. You're yeah. getting ahead of it. So we've got the, Vegetables and pancetta are now nicely sort of taken on some color, yep. a little caramelized, and then you put in the meat back in? So
1: yes, yeah. so then we're frying up some tomato paste on top of that. You know, we decided a combination of paste and canned tomato was really nice from the standpoint of both color kind of concentration from the tomato paste, a little bit of sweetness. And then just you want some liquid in there and you don't necessarily want it to all be stock or all be milk. Some pure blitzed up whole peeled uh, plum tomatoes are really nice from a flavor standpoint. So I'm putting in tomato paste on top of our aromatic base of celery, onion, carrot, garlic. Question. Yes.
0: I've always heard that when you add tomato paste to a sauce or something or Mm -hmm. one is a You want to cook it a bit. Oh, for sure. You don't just add it into the the, the liquid-y No,
1: because effectively, I mean, despite what you might think, it's still kind of raw tomato. Mm -hmm. It's a raw tomato flavor, just like kind of canned tomatoes. I'm a firm believer that canned tomatoes, you got to cook them out and cook them out hard. Mm. Paste as well. You know, you want to see a color change. You want it to go from that bright kind of red to being kind of like a few shades darker, Yeah, and you can kind of smell it. You can smell it. So you're
0: stirring it around.
1: Yep. And then you're adding the... Then you're adding white wine, reducing that. Okay, until so that almost so absorbs the flavor,
0: but all the liquid and alcohol is gone. Yep, totally okay, gone. Okay, got you there. And then your tomatoes go in. So you want them crushed or pureed? Basically. Yeah. yeah, you
1: want You want You can crush them by hand. If you like, you know, some chunks of tomato and tomatoey moments, you know, tomatoey moments <laughs> in your in your ragu. <laughs> a, new, a new memoir by Chris Morocco. <laughs> Watch out! But why? Come. You know what?
0: I I now go to like the Italian market and I'll just buy the pureed tomato. It depends on the brand. Why shouldn't it depends on the brand?
1: I don't always trust the puree. Sometimes oh, really? it's a little too thick. Oh. Hmm. You I know, think
0: if you get the good imported stuff and it's just pure San Marzano puree tomatoes fine. without anything else in there, that's fine.
1: Yeah. I'm, I'm worried about the, pe- the stuff that's like it's a little bit too thick. It's yeah, o- no, already halfway that. to a sauce. No, 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 no. You know, not me. <laughs> not I buy the this good guy. stuff. All right, so you pour that in. You cook. See, you- and you cooking that out hard again. Again, canned tomato. Yeah. So this is happening in stages. But again, like should be your next memoir. <laughs> cook hard, like <by> Chris Morocco. <laughs> <laughs> the follow up. Uh, so yeah, you want to cook that out really hard because well, what does that mean? Cook hard. I mean okay so this is the difference you know a lazy bubbling you know kind of um, simmer is not going to do it with your canned tomatoes here you want to concentrate their flavor you want it to almost get to the point where the oil in the what is the foundation of your sauce is almost kind of separating where it's almost starting to stick to the bottom of the pot. You so know that stage long, that I mean? Yeah
0: how long are we cooking this hard you're kind for?
1: Of like about 10 minutes. On
0: medium high heat? Yeah like medium high. So it's really bubbling. And, and you're moving it. And you're moving it so it doesn't and stick. And again your
1: meat's not in there so you're yeah. not toughening your meat okay. you know you're not sacrificing all right, all right. anything your meat's out of the way so you can you can push this really hard now we get to put the meat back in along with milk and chicken broth so some people like to put cream in just at the end yeah. other See, people i've
0: done that before i had another recipe that yeah. i learned from anna Teresa callan this awesome old italian uh, cooking teacher in new york back in the day and 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 you would do the whole sauce and at the end you would add some yeah. cream
1: which which is fair yeah because, you know yeah you know, I, I don't think you wouldn't necessarily want to simmer it with the cream in there the okay. whole time because it's kind of, you know, three to four hours in the oven. Yeah. Things can happen, it can split, it's probably going to split on you. I remember you came over one morning you know, when the sauce was just heating up and there's a bit of a fat cap on it. You, yes. know, you And you want to leave that fat in there, but you don't want so much fat that when you go to serve your lasagna, you're having oil pooling.
0: See, I, I when I was, if I may, <laughs> when I was making my bolognese the other <laughs> you're day, gonna. I skimmed a little of the fat off. I took that spoon like when it was at a low simmer on the stove. I just like, I skimmed a little. Just, I was yeah. like, I got enough. Because like, I did put the milk in and the chicken stock. Uh-huh. And the wine. Oh, well, let me ask you another question. Yeah. Can I use red wine instead of white? Does it matter? You
1: you can. You can. Absolutely. I I like white just because... Uh, I, I don't know. It's just a little bit more neutral, yeah. you know. Like Barbara Lynch puts an entire bottle of red wine in hers, wow. you know, which is a lot. Um, she also puts chicken livers in hers, Ooh, you know, yes. which is something that is on uh, the Serious Seeds recipe, along with fish sauce. And we also one.
0: did these the chicken livers in that uh, Cook Like a Pro issue a yeah. years ago. Yeah, that cool kind of immersion uh, blended yeah, from the restaurant in Seattle. I'm yeah blanking. but um, okay. So so you've got this sauce simmering. You got your milk. You've got your wine. You got your tomato paste and crushed tomatoes. Yep. Then you're kind of mashing up the meatballs with the back of a spoon.
1: Well, so now the meatballs go in to all that liquid with the broth and the milk into the oven and a, a dove oven just with the lid slightly ajar. Oh, into the, into the oven? Into the oven. And the meatballs are still whole? Still whole. Oh, you're blowing my mind, man. Still whole, they braise okay. whole because why, why take the effort to try know. to mash them up now? It's still like half raw in there, okay. you know? So they braise in ball form in that liquid. For how long? about three to four hours. I'm gonna say that's, t- why do you need that long? It takes a long time for those that meat to truly break down and get to the point where it has an inherent kind of creaminess. You know, mm. you can you can cook it less. Yeah. You can. But like the something that I truly am a believer in, you know, in terms of Marcella of Hazan's approach, you know, and from having eaten it so much growing up, is there is a transformation that happens somewhere between kind of two and a half to three and a half hours where the texture of the meat completely changes. It goes from feeling like ground meat to just feeling like it's melting on your mouth. See, that's
0: interesting because you don't want to be eating hamburger.
1: I gotta say, I
0: how to, long did I, you cook I, yours? Well, Adam? yeah, <laughs> I have to admit, it was hella tasty, but it was basically a little ground, Yeah, it was ground it's meat bouncy. with some with some sauce around it. Yeah, and oh, believe me, I'm not bel- I, I'm yeah, not no, doing should, this on a cause, Tuesday cause night. I, no, I only did mine on like for like maybe by the time we sat down, one and a half two hours yeah. on the stovetop. Maybe if I'd done it in the oven. Okay. two, two yeah. oven at
1: 225 degrees oh, So
0: pretty really low
1: really low like you want to see you know my dad had this whole thing about like like literally like it should take about a minute for a bubble to reach the surface of the, the i mean you know you can go you can go deep on this but for me i just think that you need to have a bit of a lazy simmer you don't ever want to boil meat you know yeah you when you braise something do you ever want to sit there and boil it no you you bring it to a boil you bring it to a boil on the stovetop you turn you know and then at that point when everything's had a chance to kind of at least warm up so it's going into the oven with everything hot at that point in the oven you want to just have like some nice simmering bubbles going on you don't want to be boiling it hard and then at that point honestly you know you 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 can go enjoy your afternoon
0: okay all right so let's talk about it so you got you got your bolognese what will be your bolognese yep simmering a light a light bubble now and then. Yep. In the oven 225. You said the top fully on or the top a
1: little bit askew? Just slightly ajar. It okay. just helps not contain too much of the yeah. heat. You want you don't Yeah, it's fine to get some evaporation, you know. Okay, so so I've done all that. What else do I need to
0: do for this lasagna?
1: You need to make bechamel. Okay. So, and and this is sounds know, like a French word to me. <laughs> it is, it is. Yeah, I mean, honestly, it, it's it's that part of you know Italian cuisine that kind of came over from French chefs to coming to you know the big houses of Italy yeah. and you know spreading the French cuisine.
0: Bologna is in, where the name bolognese comes from. is in northern Italy, and it is a area more with cheese and butter and cream. Lots and of it's dairy. A, yeah, it's very Super different. Super fertile. Cuis- different cuisine than the south.
1: Yeah, which is much more olive oil and yeah, kind of tomato. and Citrus and, and tomato. So Yeah. So bechamel, this, and so we're actually shooting this today. A video of it. Oh, no. We're uh, just like a a, photo. The photo, yeah, for the web. And, you know, so the photographer, Chelsea, was saying, okay, so what I'm seeing is, you know, you're lifting out a a big piece of this and you're getting a good cheese pull. And I was like, no, no. No No cheese pull. We are not getting a cheese pull. There's no mozzarella. Yeah.
0: All right. So, yeah, so let's talk about that next crucial step. So you got the meat sauce simmering and then you're introducing bechamel. Bechamel. So how do you make a bechamel? So
1: bechamel is just a roux, so it's basically equal parts, uh, butter and flour. It's cooked out um, just till it begins to smell a bit nutty, and then you're whisking in milk, bringing that milk to a boil to activate all the starch in the flour to thicken it, and then we're putting in a lot of Parmesan, so the Parmesan's mm, yes. going into the bechamel, so it becomes incredibly rich. Also, um, the Parmesan
0: cheese up where Bologna is. So oh, for that, sure. that, that, you, that area. She, yeah,
1: there's nothing wrong with putting cheese in your lasagna per se. It's, you know, to your point about, you know, what you kind of grew up with. Like, if you're looking for that kind of uber cheesy, tomatoey kind of baked pasta moment, make baked pasta, yeah. which is not lasagna. Make baked ziti. Make baked ziti. Yeah. Absolutely. So the ragu is really rich, right? Oh, sorry,
0: um, but you got the... Butter flour, Butter, flour, milk, milk, parmesan,
1: a little nutmeg. Parmesan, a little bit of nutmeg. Yeah. It's one of those flavors that honestly you'd kinda not know it's there, yeah. but it's it but you adds taste something it and you're like, you taste oh. it. Yeah. And a little cayenne pepper, just oh, to kind of wake okay. it up a little bit. I like that. The bechamel is there to help hydrate the pasta, which we haven't gotten to yet, but you know, the pasta is really undercooked for lasagna. And when it goes into the oven. It's going to be pulling moisture from somewhere, and it's very hard to construct a lasagna with ragu that's super liquidy. Mm. If that makes sense, mm-hmm. you know. And you also need a break from the ragu and the intensity of the ragu. So the bechamel is kind of the ragu's kind of counterpoint. You know, where it's cheesy. Okay. It's creamy, thick, creamy, dense. Not meaty and, and, and rich. Not
0: meaty. Okay. So all right. So so you've got your. You're yin and you're yang. You mm-hmm. got your bechamel exactly. sauce ready. The the meat now is done, and you're you're mashing it up with a spoon.
1: I'm doing it with potato masher. Potato masher. Yeah. So it's
0: a, that's in a perfect state. Yep. In our original uh, lasagna bolognese recipe, our friend Sue Lee, who developed the recipe, made. Pasta. Pasta from scratch. Yeah. This was part of, in her defense, this was uh, the project section in the magazine, which is for people who like to take on an all-weekend project. Yeah. I was like, you're banana, Sue. I am not making my own pasta and my own bolognese and bechamel. I mean, that's like, yes, some of us have jobs. So (laughs) I was just like, that's crazy. I mean, I love the notion of it. So then the question is, if you're going to buy stuff, store-bought lasagna you have two options if you're lucky enough to live in an area with a great italian market or mm. now like there's yep. italy's opening all the place where you can buy freshly made sheets of lasagna yes
1: pasta well that's awesome. that's that's great yeah. yeah they tend to be a little on the thicker side yeah, then, you know just yeah. than what you'd make if you were doing it from scratch yourself but they're great but you
0: developed this recipe for everybody so you're like i'm gonna use just store-bought boxed noodles, correct? Correct,
1: correct. Because if I w- cause if anybody's gonna spend time on one element of this recipe, it's gotta be the ragu. Yes. Because that's what's gonna define the recipe. The pasta, honestly, when it comes to lasagna, it's baking in the oven so long. It's such a big, heavy dish, it takes a certain amount of time to bake it, to brown it. But the pasta is never gonna be al dente in there. No, you know, yeah. I mean, it's 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 luscious, it's it's yielding, it's um, it's delicious. It's just never going to have that like, you know, your cacio e pepe, yeah. you know, that little bite in your noodle.
0: So, 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 what is the what's the policy for doing store bought dried? lasagna noodles like how long do you cook them how do you cook them the best way right like then lay them out and then you got to assemble like that's where i get a little confused yeah
1: you know i i looked at the no boil noodles and those those are a great option for some folks it's great to take the step out of just having to cook the pasta obviously but i felt ultimately that a dried store-bought lasagna noodle was much more interchangeable with you know anybody who might want to make their own fresh pasta and you know kind of blanch it basically. The kind of sheets that we would get at Eataly, we, we tried this once with those. You'd really have to cook them before putting them in. Mm-hmm. Really thin homemade noodles, you barely even need to mm-hmm. cook them. You can. Some people even put them in totally raw. Okay, So what about, so what about so, your basic box noodles? So my basic mo- box noodle, I went with the Checo. Yeah. A lot of lasagna noodles, I mean, A, you have the ruffle, which I get along the edge just because it helps keep them from sticking to each other when you're boiling them, but Honestly, it just gives your lasagna a certain look, you know, that like I'm not yeah. that into. It's not very chic. It's not very chic. <laughs> I wouldn't like to be honest. It. Yeah. So the decheco it just has the, uh, just a little ripple along the very edge. It's not a wave, it's yeah. a ripple. And they're kind of short and it's wide. It's not a ruffle. No, it's not <laughs> ruffled. <laughs> Yeah, so it's nice to work with because it's nice and flat, it's really broad, and it's just easier to assemble. And we're cooking them very little. We're cooking them three minutes. And, and, and at and three night- minutes, they're raw, So know, nicely basically. salted water. Yeah, really so salted it, so water. So
0: softening them up but not cooking them through. Exactly. And then when you take them out,
1: what do you do with them? I just dump them into cold water, you know. So I'll I have a bowl of cold water. I'll dump the noodles into cold water. Let them cool down. And do then they stick
0: together? Because that's what I always get
1: confused with. They do want to stick together. Look, you're gonna lose a few. A few. <laughs> <laughs> you know, what I mean? a it's few just good expect men. it. Yeah, yes. you're gonna lose a few. Just expect it. It's fine. Happens to me every time. Like there's just a couple that are super recalcitrant yeah. and don't wanna don't wanna play nice. And that's cooking. It's you the know? first
0: time I've heard anyone refer to a noodle as recalcitrant. Well, yeah. <laughs> Good to be here. Okay, so you've got the noodles in there. You're trying doing your best to separate them. Yeah.
1: Once they've kind of just cooled in the water, just take them out and lay them on a, a large rim baking sheet in between pieces of, pieces of parchment, uh, waxed paper. They just need to kind of stay just slightly wet so they don't start sticking to everything mm-hmm. and anything. And at that point, you know, you've got your sauce, you've got bechamel, and you've got your noodles. Yeah. And, and that's re- it. You're ready to start You're ready building. to go. Yeah. Right. First
0: layer. So you got your nice 13 by 9, yep. preferably if you have a high-edged pan, that's great.
1: High, yeah, high edge is fine. You know, I found honestly, if you do have a slightly lower edge pan, like what's cool is you kind of get this dramatic effect sometimes with that top layer of noodles. Mm. You know, we ended up kind of going with five layers of those store-bought noodles. The top layer is riding right at the top. And um, nothing's really gonna kind of overflow or go crazy on you while it's baking, so it's nice to have that top layer because that's what gets crazy crunchy all around those edges, It's, it's those like those ripples.
0: It, it's like a convex meniscus from science class Whoa. in eighth grade. So do do you, this is what I always wonder, all right, so you get your pan, you get your noodles, everything's ready, you get your assembly line, do you put sauce on the bottom first? You put butter on the bottom. What what do you lay down first on the in the pan?
1: I oil the pan uh-huh. just as a little insurance, just with olive oil, and I start with a layer of ragu. Okay, and then a layer of noodles, and then on top of the noodles goes a bechamel because it's just easier to spread bechamel on a noodle as opposed to spreading bechamel in an even layer on top of ragu. Yeah, that makes you. sense. Yep, yep. So you and have then.
0: Bo- and then, and bolognese then bolognese on, top of, on the, top of the bechamel. And then noodles and, then and noodles. keep doing that. Mm-hmm. Did you ever consider adding ricotta cheese to the mix?
1: I did. I, you know, I feel like it's a little bit in that kind of baked pasta world. And I honestly, there's nothing inherently wrong with that. But on, baked ricotta, yeah, like, is it even that good? No. Unless you, you kind of cut it with a lot no, of, like, know, melty you, cheese, You know what's really good Eggs. Like, when you
0: go to these, like, Kind of cool, fancy Italian restaurants now, and you get the fresh ricotta and it's whipped. And you get a little olive oil and mm-hmm. you get a nice bread with it. And you sit down and some good molten sea salt. That's, that's good, good ricotta, or, yeah, or a little flatbread and it's warm
1: baked ricotta. No, even like I mean, especially it's kind of gritty. The, the 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 dish of baked ricotta is I mean, it's terrible. It's no, squeaky. not find that. You tested this recipe like five times. I want to say yeah. What, what I'm afraid to admit how many times I cooked what, it.
0: What <laughs> why and what were the adjustments you were making? to get it to where you finally decided that, yes, this is BA's best lasagna?
1: A lot of it, honestly, was the ragu. I tried Paul Bertolli's approach of, I'm gonna just gonna cook this meat until it browns mm-hmm. and see what happens, and then maybe only use tomato paste. Or, you know, Marcello's approach, where it's nothing's gonna get browned, mm-hmm. and I'm gonna just kind of barely simmer everything, play just super nice with everything. I ended up kind of finding an approach that was somewhere in the middle, obviously. and. And then the bechamel, you know, bechamel is kind of bechamel, but a a big thing, honestly, was just incorporating the Parmesan into the bechamel, you know, brightening the flavor a little bit with the cayenne, um, figuring out the amount of bechamel, and then picking a lane in terms of the noodles, because I tried it with store-bought fresh. Just to kind of get a basis for comparison, I made Sule's, you know, fresh uh, pasta noodles, which are great in there. Um, so a couple, I made pasta you know, a couple times for this. And then ultimately settling on the DiCecco. And then once you kind of have the players, you have to figure out, okay, how much of this, how much of that, how to assemble it.
0: Well, that's an important point, because I know when I was down there a few times and you had set it out a couple of times, like you want it moist and saucy, but not too saucy, because you don't swimming. want it spilling out onto the plate. Yeah. And then also, I know Emma here, our producer, was inquiring. She goes, No cheese on the top? What's up with that? That was one of her notes. But there's cheese in the bechamel, right? And you do put bechamel on top of that. And you
1: put bechamel on top of that top layer. But you
0: don't put bolognese.
1: No. 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 <laughs> no.
0: <laughs> so all you see is a, a kind of a baked white sort of yeah, surface. Yeah,
1: but it, what's cool is the lasagna sheets, they want to expand when they um, hydrate in the oven, but they can't really spread to the side, yeah. right? So they kind of, because you're, you know, you're constraining it with foil for that initial bake in the oven, there's nowhere to kind of go. So they kind of go up and down. Mm, they kind yeah, of like, cool. they kind of form these like, you know, these tall kind of crags and then these kind of like little like valleys. Yeah. So the whole surface becomes this rippled thing where some, you know, the parts that are sticking out get really kind of crispy, crunchy. And something magical happens with bechamel on top of pasta in the oven. I mean, and not even, you know, with <laughs> pasta, just bechamel period, like moving. Moussica, have you ever had like a fantastic Musica with like a really tight bechamel on yeah. top? I mean, that's bechamel yeah. doing that. You know, it browns a very certain way. Yeah. Just having cheese on the top. I mean, I don't. All of a sudden, it's well, what cheese? Just mozzarella? Yeah. I mean, eh. yeah. no, like, Fontina I, I like it, it's too strong. Interesting. And, uh, you uh, you know.
0: when I see it, I'm like, oh, you expect there to be tomato sauce or something, and you're like, no, it's, it's different than what you expect. And I think that's what makes this lasagna so unique and so delicious. Final point: as much as you want to dig in you got to wait a little bit. How long do you you want to let lasagna sit before you cut into it?
1: I found that actually you only really need 10 minutes. Okay. You should be able to cut a piece of it after about 10 minutes and really have it hold together pretty nicely. To your point about it's not a soup sandwich, you know, it's not a sloppy joe. You know, you should be able to get a pretty well-defined piece pretty quickly and not leave a lot of stuff behind. The way the the pasta kind of bakes into the bechamel, which – kind of clings onto the ragu, it all kind of forms this perfect little package.
0: Mm, So hungry, all right, two more questions. Yeah. You're making this for your wife and kids. What are you serving with lasagna? What's your go-to? Oh my God.
1: I mean, honestly, I want like nothing with it. I just want to like revel in it. But I mean, sure, a bright, like tangy green salad, I wouldn't say no. Or just like a side of like easy sauteed broccoli rabe or something, You know, just a simple sauteed vegetable like that. Final question.
0: It's the next day, and you're like, you know what? I'm having lasagna again for dinner tonight. (laughs) How are you heating up that square lasagna?
1: Just. Kind of gentle heat, uh, not really above 350. But
0: in the tray, in the fry pan? In like, the tray. You... In the tray, yeah. Mm. See, Uncovered. No no, no, no. No? Why? What happened? I'm going to cut myself a square. Oh, and you're going to. Put it in a fry pan with a little olive oil. Oh, my God. And get that sizzling, and then put the top on so the bottom gets all crispy. Whoa. But then it's because the top is on, it's I... still kind of steaming and warming through I feel like I was set up. Like, that, that, was, <laughs> that was a total setup. I'm just saying you might want to no,
1: try that. No, you know the Mark Ladner's uh, famous 100 uh, layer lasagna yeah. from Del is so it you know, a hundred or thousand? It's 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 a hundred. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> they they stopped at hundred. They could it. And
0: those going. are remarkably thin sheets of pasta. Yeah, it's, and they're like see through basically. Yeah, you could
1: basically brush the sauce yeah. onto a layer of pasta. Um, there. But so he, you know, it, it's assembled and nothing is cooked, but he, he sears it basically one side down oh. in a skillet. Uh, and now to s-
0: serve it at his new venture called yeah, Pasta, pasta Flyer, which is a cool pasta delivery service, uh, for a quality, homemade pasta. Uh, he has lasagna bites. Yeah, I I, which, I can't wait to try those. I know they look like chicken nuggets of a lasagna world. i was yeah. like, ooh, those look tasty.
1: Yeah, uh yeah. So uh, anyway, you know, it's so you're on you're on to something there. Um all right, so guys,
0: you can find uh Chris Morocco's uh, lasagna recipe called BA's Best Lasagna on Bonapetit.com. It's up now and I highly recommend Making this for like a Sunday supper soon because it's delicious and this time of year, uh, nothing's better. Thanks, Chris. Thanks, man. All right, Brad. We're talking sous vide today, and it's interesting. Uh, you are someone who wears, you know, like artisanal aprons. You you make <laughs> you make your own tables. You saw down wood. You literally forge your own knives. I would think that something as like high fluting and high tech as sous vide wouldn't be your thing.
2: Well, I mean yeah, I mean it's just a I like tools and yeah. at the end of the day, sous vide is nothing more than just a tool for cooking. I don't think it is the answer to cooking, the new alternative, you know, there's still traditional methods that are, that are better, if not just as good. But it's, a, it's an interesting way to cook, and it's a different way to cook. And what's interesting about it is a lot of control. Is that it's You get the ultimate control. Well,
0: let's talk about that because like, sous vide has been a, a staple <clears throat> of sort of high-end restaurants for a while now. I mean, I would say at least a decade probably. Sure. Um, and talk about control and talk about a base level of how it works and why restaurant chefs like it.
2: Well, probably because you can cook expensive cuts of meat or thicker cuts of meat and hold them at a specific temperature and they'll, they won't overcook. And how are we doing that? It, it's so Okay, so it's, you're taking a protein or a vegetable or you're, taking, you're just taking any type of food and, and then you're putting it in a vacuum-sealed food-safe bag and vacuum-sealing all the air out of it so it doesn't float. And then you're submerging it into a water vessel, whether it be a sink or a cooler or a stock pot, anything. And then the sous vide machine, you know, back in the day, they were a bit bulkier there. You kind of had to buy the parts. You know, you'd get the water circulator, you'd get the, the tank, you'd get the heating element. But now they're all just kind of built into real simple, convenient little, like, cylinders. And uh, it'll clip on the side of the pot. And what it does is it sucks the, the water in. And you set the temperature through the machine, and it'll just – it'll circulate the water throughout the pot and heat all the water to that temperature.
0: And never gets any hotter
2: than that temperature. I mean, it fluctuates probably. A little. A little bit. I would imagine. But
0: but let's say if I do – if I want a strip steak and I want it rare and I set it to 129 degrees, theoretically, after how long?
2: I cook the steaks um, for two and a half hours. Okay. At and, that temperature. And so it's cooked through, but it will never get overcooked. It'll never overcook. I like to suggest people who are not yet very comfortable or confident in, you know, grilling or, or pan frying a real expensive ribeye. You know, let's face it. Be, most cuts of meat are pretty expensive, especially you get a, you know, you get like a two-bone ribeye, yeah. dry-aged or something. You spend 100 bucks or something crazy, which is fine. But like some people <laughs> some people don't you know, it's don't it's easy to screw up is what yes, I'm trying yeah. to get at. Uh,
0: if you're if you're <clears throat> grilling ribeye over a live fire, you are sort of you're hoping. You're like, please, please don't let me screw this you're up. You're not walking
2: away much. No. Especially
0: So what's interesting with with the restaurant, I remember having a like sous vide I think probably the first time I was con- conscious of it was at uh, Dan Barber's restaurant Blue Hill. Uh, in New York City before he opened Blue Hill at Stone Barns, and like a lot of the cuts he would use were sous vide and they were super tender mm-hmm. and very consistent exactly. all the way through, pillowy soft. And what's interesting, I guess, if you're running a restaurant where you're doing, you're trying to do quality and quantity at the same time. And so you, let's say you can sous vide off a bunch of strip steaks at, to exactly 129 degrees, and so when it's, someone orders them, you take one of those, you just hit it on in a skillet until it gets crispy on both sides, and then you know it's gonna be. You know, after a minute on each side, it'll be perfect medium rare. Exactly. Okay, I get that. It's like boom, consistent, exactly where you need it. They're at the ready. You've got portioned out in a little zip in your airtight yep. bags, sitting in the order. Oh, yes, yeah, sit, or sit in the water. Can you can take? You just put them in the fridge after you've cooked them, right? But then it's cold. Oh well, yeah. Okay. All right. Okay. Well, yeah. But so first service, let's just say you have them at the ready. Okay. But as a home cook. Why do I want to cook my take the two and a half hours to do my steak ahead of time? To, before I do the steak, like where where do you think these this like the Joule sous vide machine? How does it fit into the home cook sort of repertoire?
2: That's a good question. And for me, it's worked out to where you know I have I, I have a little guy at home. He's almost two years old, and uh, sometimes for work or for whatever you know I'll be out of town or travel, and I like to set you know set them up where I can cook some chicken breasts or that cook- would
0: be that would be your wife and, and child. Wife and child. Yes, yes. <clears throat> set them up. Okay. I like to set them
2: up where I can, you know, I can cook some a couple proteins in a vacuum sealed bag and they can hang out in the fridge and then when they you know, when they're get home and they want to cook dinner, they can just open that up, reheat it. Say if it was chicken, you can you can yeah. even eat it cold. So like
0: when you're off filming your cool guy video yeah. series, it's alive in Ecuador. You you did one right. of the char- Chocolate recently, chocolate, right? Yeah, you just f- got back from that. So you're away for a week. So you can say, "Honey, I got like I did you two pork loin, tenderloins, a couple of chicken breasts, one strip steak, and it's all done and ready to go, seasoned. You Mm -hmm. just need to heat it up.
2: Boom. You can even put a sauce. Like, chicken's great. Like, let's get away from steak for a second, but like chicken, you can even do shrimp if you wanted to. It's a little not so necessary sometimes, but you certainly could. Chicken or pork and you can, you know, just put it in different sauces too or different flavor yeah. profiles so you can just boom right over rice or salad. Salmon comes out great. Yeah. And when it is cooked for a period of time, and you can get this information online, essentially in a vacuum sealed unit what you're doing is pasteurizing. So like, it will last in the fridge. I mean, you can, I've pushed it, I've eaten something that was probably two and a half weeks old <laughs> cooked that was in the fridge. And, and you're still and, with hey, us. I'm, I'm fine. But it, as long as it's sealed, it's essentially you're you're killing everything in the bag. Yeah, as far as you know, not killing everything, but in a safe level. So like it's it's great for home prep, you know, and, and just meal preps or entertaining and stuff like that. So that's where I found it very helpful yeah. at home.
0: And so I guess if you yeah, if you're the organized cook, if you're the type who preps a bunch of food on Sunday for the rest of the week, and you make some grains for your lunch right. and this and that, and you can portion out like, a, hey, honey, I know we're gonna be home Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday nights this week. Let's cook off some food and have it ready so when we come home from work. We easy. don't just start from scratch. Yeah. Let's talk about some specific dishes. We have a big a bunch of stories up on Bonapet.com right now, uh, featuring your Sous vide exploits. I'm curious and I want to ask you about some, some dishes that you've made and I'm I'm staring at this beautiful photo of Sous vide sweet and spicy pork belly can you yeah. can, can you walk us through the process
2: sure so i mean it's 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 kind of just like the you're getting this almost the same result as if you know if you were going to do a traditional braise so but you which think, would be
0: hours in the oven and splattering and fat and all that stuff
2: yeah, oh just low and slow yeah. in the oven yeah. you know it's fine it's great yeah. um what's great about the sous vide is you can and you know if you're doing that in the oven it's usually pretty hot your oven's not going to be 100 you know 60 degrees it's yeah. going to it fluctuates more a lot less control Perfect with the with the pork belly is that you can get a nice you know slabs of it or strips of it. So
0: you we, go to you got to go to your do like Whole Foods. Yeah. You oh get, yeah. Like, you Whole Foods. You can get like
2: pork belly now. Definitely. That's like, what any we got good it.
0: butcher, so you get some boneless. Yes.
2: If you want, I mean, want. yeah, either, or. either um, or, skin on or skin yeah. off. Um, but I like to get some that have like you know it's got little meaty too. Yeah. You know, not just all fat. You do that. at one sixty five for. Eight hours. Wait wait wait, wait. Hour. wait,
0: wait, wait. Are we seasoning it first? Like, what, oh, I'm what, sorry. What? Yeah, come down. on, Brad. Come on. <laughs> so how do you make the damn thing?
2: <laughs> so you, yeah. So in the bag, you got your pork belly, and um, I add some. How, or how
0: big? Are, like, how big of a chunk in each bag?
2: As big as you want. Anywhere from you know. It, it, that's what's cool too. I mean, you can either do. An eight-ounce strip, where you could mm. do a two-pound slab.
0: Oh wow! So you can go that big. Yeah. Oh cool. I like
2: to cut it in the strips a little bit, so you can get a little more more in, seasoning. I mean, yeah, a little more okay. surface area on the sauce that you put in. So we did some some ginger, some you know some uh, sambal, which is like a chili garlic sauce. Um, some chopped up scallions. And you, can, you, can, that,
0: you can buy that at stores. Oh
2: yeah, yeah, this is all Whole Foods. Yeah, ready. Some salt and ball, you know, some soy sauce, uh, and you load that in there and then you, you seal it up and you put it in there for you know, 8, 12 hours. I do it in the morning, you come home from work or you do it at night and
0: then. And, a, and a steady 160.
2: W- uh, 165. And
0: 165. So that's just, just breaking down like, yeah, the collagen so, and fat so you, and everything. The
2: fat will eat nice and. and
0: Ooh, wait, I have a question. Before, yeah. all right, Let's just rewind before we're in the pot. Mm-hmm. In order to sous vide at home, do you have to have the vacuum seal thing that sucks all the air out of the bag?
2: No great question. Um, and I actually found it really useful to do it with. I mean, there were some people were a little concerned with with Ziploc bag like mm-hmm. a, you know, a, f- a freezer bag Ziploc. What I was always told is that it's an inert plastic, so it doesn't have like a chemical reaction mm-hmm. with your food. Everything should be fine. Apparently there are, there are companies that make like super food grade if, if, you know Ziploc bags or whatever, or zip-top bags. I've never had a problem. I mean, I don't know. But do you, no, I guess my question is explain. I wasn't worried
0: about the Classic. Uh, maybe I should be. But I'm talking about getting all the air out. Yeah. Do, so you, you, do you have to get all the air out, or what happens if there's some air in there? Like well, what, do you, what do you do if you don't have a, a, a vacuum seal guy? Cool.
2: So you're going to want to get the air out because the air will just be – it's just going to be a big pocket of – Flotation. It's going to yeah. want to bring the bag up. And you want whatever you're cooking to be submerged okay. as much as possible. So if you, if you do have that problem, sometimes you can lean like a metal uh, cooking spoon or tongs I've used just to like kind of weigh it, just to keep it down, you know, real simple. Um, but if a nice little trick is if you put everything in that zip-top bag and just kind of close it almost all the way except just like one little finger's mm-hmm. worth, leave it cracked open, and just push it all the way down into the water... Just to where the seal is above, and gravity will push, or the ah. the displacement it will push the air out of the bag, <laughs> and, and then you just seal it real quick, and it actually it works fantastic, and that's really great for when you want to add marinades or or liquids to the bag because the vacuum seal bag, once you get a real good vacuum, it needs to get like a tight suction on it, and it starts sucking all the liquid out. And I know they say they have like their moist setting for, but it doesn't work. It's not that great, so. Like if you're doing like a real wet marinade, I I prefer the zip top. Yeah.
0: Like. Okay, so uh, you got the it's simmering away at 165. You get home, you and take it out, part. and then what are you doing with the, the the belly at that point? Are you just eating it straight away?
2: <laughs> you certainly can. <laughs> I mean, I, I have, yeah. um, but it, it's worth it to uh, to wait a little bit. And um, if you add a little, I think I add a little sugar to it too. Mm. Uh, that that recipe. I don't have it in front of but me.
0: I do have it in front of me. So you have honey. <laughs> honey. Okay. Yeah, cool. I like that.
2: Yeah. And as it renders some of that fat, and it kind of makes it makes this like sauce. So when you pull it out, it's going to be a much more liquid in the bag than when you originally started. Okay. So the 165 is pulling some water out of the pork, f- rendering some fat out of it, and uh, but still maintaining it to where it's firm. So I take the I take the meat out reserve the sauce and i can put you put that in a saucepan just keep it warm and it's just a beautiful you know it's a it's a, basically a sauce and then i pat dry the pork belly and it's marinated in all that chili and honey which gives is really going to help it out when you put it on like a cast iron or your grill and just um, it happens in like 15 seconds per side it's a caramelizes crisp super up. quick just gets crispy and caramelization mm. all over it and then the inside's real moist oh my god it's 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 awesome. You just started out with some rice, or how are you eating that usually? I mean, you could put that in a little ramen on some rice. You could put that, you know, with eggs. You can do anything. Put it in a – whatever you want. It's good on anything. Tacos. Oh,
0: God. I also like – we have a – this looks like a very sort of makes everybody happy sort of dish, a sous vide chicken with pesto.
2: It's one of my favorites, and the back to like the home cook. It's just a perfect dinner. Boneless chick-
0: boneless, skinless chicken breast. Yeah,
2: that's what we. That's what I did. And then and you just add some pesto in the bag. Store bought or homemade pesto, just uh-huh. a good pesto. Maybe a little extra olive oil if you're yeah. into that. Uh, and then just cook that, and that goes. At, I think the chicken is for um, 145 Fahrenheit for two and a half hours. And that's great. Open that up. You can just dump that on pasta if you want to. And just eat it
0: straight away. And you don't chicken. need to crisp that up, do you?
2: No, there's nothing really to Nothing do. to crisp up. No um, fame. You could do that with, yeah. you know, a skin on. That's, gonna yeah. you know, I think in restaurants, that's kind of where sous vide got its claim to fame was with the, like that, what's it called? The airline chicken breast with the little, uh, yeah. and they'll have the skin on it and they'll sous vide it and then just blast it. Yeah, so that the skin super gets super crispy, crispy but and the, the meat. meat is because you're essentially kind of cooking it in, especially the bone-in stuff with the salt and stuff. You're kind of cooking it in its own little stocky brine. Yeah, you know, because if you when you chill that,
0: I, I, I like the chicken notion just because a lot of times we're cooking chicken, especially like if you have like you know bone-in or, or thighs or it's like you don't want the meat to be medium rare. So right. you want to cook it through, but then you're trying to get the skin crispy, but you don't want to burn the skin. And there's like a, a bit more variance involved and to have that, knowing that, all right, that chicken, the, the meat is totally done, still tender. If I can just crisp up with that skin for a minute, exactly. you're, you're in a perfect place. It's delicious. Yeah. We've talked a lot about protein. What about like veggies? Also you have eggs. Like what, what are we doing other than your, your, your mains?
2: yeah so I, I kind of go through phases a little bit, but uh, I haven't gotten too too much in vegetables, but um I mean i'm I'm sure you could do some some carrots, but what i what I was thinking would be really interesting is to do like a whole little baby kind of potato salad mm. and put all the potatoes in there maybe with some butter or something and uh, or some spices and some salt and um you can I don't know what temperature i would I would have to you know figure this out or there's plenty of information online as well but um It's probably a bit higher, like 170, 180. But find out where you can cook a potato because, you know, they vary in size. And one's always a little harder. One gets mushy. But
0: I love that. So you can just just be like when you pierce it and it's tender. Because that's the thing about making potatoes is like – that bigger one's not done yet, but the small one is, and so by the time the bigger one is, the small one's starting to like Mush the skin out. is much yeah. and, like fall apart, and then you're like, oh, I overcooked it. So, so you get that exact. So they hold their shape, mm-hmm. super in, tender. I would do like olive oil and some herbs, sure. maybe a little, almost a vinaigrette kind right. of shalloty sort of vinaigrette sort of thing in there. Can almost maybe make a like little a bag mustard salad. vinaigrette, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like a German vidos out. So you can just put that all in there together with the little baby potatoes. And hypothetically, everyone should be exactly the same. Perfect. Ooh. If you
2: find that, te- I know, I've been thinking about this, where they'll be creamy but firm, have yes. a little snap to them. Yeah. So that maybe we'll have to develop that We're one. We're doing this.
0: If you're doing an egg, you, can you just drop the egg in a shell just in the water bath as is? So
2: they say. I haven't, so I, they say. I haven't, I haven't dabbled with the egg But yet. that
0: can get you like an, ex- like an exact ramen egg or whatever if yeah, exactly. you want the exact temperature of what the equivalent of a six-minute egg would be. And you can put it in there, and not have to stress out about. Oh my God! Did I admit, did it go from six to seven right. minutes and screw and everything up? And I think
2: you can you can hold them for a while. Yeah. So like I think it's perfect for like a ramen shop or something where they can just you know crack them right open and then boom you get again yeah. I think it really comes down to uh, you know what exact what temperature.
0: I feel like I came into this podcast very skeptical and now I'm like I need a I Kinda need a souvenir machine. <laughs> yeah. I know. I want my, my Germany sort of vinaigrette potato salad. I want my crispy oh potato salad with the pork belly. Yeah, you're a winner. a get some little uh, uh sauerkraut with that also. Sounds perfect. Oh my god.
2: Well we uh, got one with your name on it. Okay. I wanna... might I might be coming to the test kitchen <laughs> for this.
0: Also I like that idea of when you're entertaining like on a Saturday night or something. And it's nice if you can have X number of proteins already cooked off, that sort of thing. like You're not worrying about, I need to get to the stove and cook all these pork chops, and I'm going to overdo them. And then you're going to be apologizing for overcooking them or undercooking them. That way, no, I already cooked them all off. They're ready to go. It's going to do sear one minute on each side. Exactly.
2: And what's nice is that you can do all this ahead, or it doesn't even need to be near, as long as you can plug it in. In a pot of water you can put it anywhere you can put it in the garage you know put it in the hallway if you wanted to but yeah it's perfect for, for for entertaining because it really just eliminates that room forever and i mean let's face it if it's i like cooking over you know over flames over you know on a cast iron anything but um you know if it's freezing cold out you plan you want to do some really cool pork chops or some steaks and if you wanted to cook that in a cast iron it comes out great you can get the same crust as the sous vide but it's gonna take you know a few minutes for sure, and it's unless you have the proper ventilation, which I know a lot of us don't, you're gonna smoke your apartment out. Yeah. You know, but when that thing's cooked already perfect throughout, and you're just hitting the sides, kissing it, just kissing it, and you want to pat it dry. You can even take it out of the bag and let it just kind of air dry for.
0: Yeah, moisture is not your friend
2: when not you want crispy. Friend. Yeah, it's just going to kind
0: of. Um, wow. All right, I'm psyched by this. And, and in terms of the jewel machines, so it, it, listen, it's not cheap. It's about 198. Is what I'm looking at at Amazon right now. It ain't
2: that expensive though? Well, it's
0: not that expensive, and it, it looks. It almost. It looks. It reminds me of like when everyone was buying those uh, immersion blenders. Right. You know, it's like kind of same side. It's a nice yeah. sort of like, sort of milky white apple cylinder. Cylinder. Exactly. Very really stylish looking. and you just clip it on the side of a big pot. Yep. Circulates the water, warms it up.
2: The one thing with the jewel, which took at first, I was a little skeptical. Not gonna lie, chef steps, a little skeptical. It only is controlled through the app on a phone. Oh, through the app that you and you know it doesn't have any. You're you're a guy
0: that likes Morse code and stuff. Yeah, yeah. let
2: me hit a button that makes you know 49 to 50. Okay, (laughs) but it it turns out, and they converted me. It's actually a pretty, uh, a pretty friendly interface, and it's actually pretty, pretty smart and handy. Um, And I think it really allowed them a lot of the older machines actually aren't waterproof, which you think, you know, Wait, what? Of, they're not waterproof. So if it were to fall over while it was on, you know. It's weird because they're in water. Well, only that's why, like, some of them, the older uh, The
0: electronics the, up top were not. Were not. <clears throat> yeah,
2: it, like, you couldn't submerge it. You could yeah. put the element in yeah, yeah. This one is uh, waterproof, so that's makes sense. Well, you've got me psyched up for this, Brad. It makes you hungry a little, right? Yeah. I've been, before I, we wrap it up, I've been really trying to uh, – I want to do lobster tails because I feel like people tend to hate them, you know, because they're usually overcooked. They're tough. Yep. Kind of just stringy. Can we mention overpriced
0: also when you go to a restaurant?
2: They can certainly be very overpriced. But if you can get them, you know, cheap and in the correct season, I I want to try doing them sous vide in just with some butter and some aromatics. Would you
0: take the meat out of the tail first? I'd probably leave
2: the shell on. Yeah. Just to help build some kind of weird little stock. Yeah, yeah. But either or. And yeah. then just lots of butter, maybe a little mm, little yeah. Old Bay or something. Yeah. And just find out what, again, that control where you can just get them where they're perfect. Wow. All right, mm-hmm. we got
0: a lot of projects. <laughs> uh, folks, you can check out Brad's sort of uh, uh, explorations with the sous vide machine on bonapetite.com. we got a bunch of recipes up, a bunch of articles. It's pretty awesome. Uh, and if you want to buy one, we like the Jewel machine, J-O-U-L-E. Uh, you can get it on the Internet. Yeah, on Amazon. All right. Thanks, Brad. Thank you. Bon Appetit Foodcast is produced by Carrie Polis and produced and edited by Emma Wartzman. Our theme music is by Valerie and the Grady's with additional music by Nathaniel Wartzman. We have new episodes every Wednesday and if you want to tell us about this or any other episode, email us at bonappetitfoodcast at gmail.com.
2: Thanks for listening.